This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're incredibly fortunate to have Holly G. Green. She's the CEO and Managing Director of The Human Factor, Inc. She's also the author of Using Your Brain to Win. Holly, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Well, thank you for having me. You know, it's 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 really a pleasure. I'm sitting at uh, in Holly's kitchen, <laughs> and and I've met the family, mm-hmm. and so uh, today um, we're going to explore Holly's business. Holly, if you would tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Sure, I help organizations, and that could be for profit or for cause organizations uh, versus that nonprofit we don't really like. So for profit or for cause organizations get crystal clear on winning and then get there. And that means aligning everything and everyone in the organization so that we're all in the same race, we know what the targets are, and we're moving towards them each and every single day in every way. You know, doing a little homework before the podcast and went on your website, um, read most of the book, (laughs) and it's kind of one of those things, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Because there's so much of what you do. So for for the listeners out there that are going like, well, this is going to be cool, you know, and and what is she doing? Am I her likely client? What does a a likely client or prototypical client look like to you? Any organization that has humans, that's the number one criteria. (laughs) So that's the human factor um, because we do really work with and through the brains of adult humans at work. So there's, there's the number one criteria. Any organization that knows they can be better, that maybe stretch too thin, departments or teams are not aligned, we're working really, really hard, but we're not quite accomplishing what we know we should be able to accomplish. Um, we have people pulling in different directions. We need to professionalize or get to the next level of our stage of growth. So we're, we're founder, own, and run, and now we need to be able to scale. Or we're a large organization and we need to skinny up a little bit. Or we've been running along at the same size for a long time, and again, we know we can get more out of who we are and what we are and what we've got. Um, so it, it really requires to... Um, for us to be able to help anyone is a desire to be even better. And that's kind of it. You know, adult humans and a desire to be even better. You know, I think about that as, as a business owner and I'm going, well, there's some parts that I'm, I'm pretty well comfortable with in, in my business. And I think for many of the business owners, they don't even have an idea that maybe they have a hole in their bucket. And mm-hmm. hopefully not cash flow tells them when that's happening. <laughs> right. You know, but could you cover a little bit of your your background, where you came from, and and when you started working in this space. Sure. Um, I started out with a BA in BS, so I always thought that was a great fit to the corporate world. Um, mine's behavioral sciences, though. Um, I went to work for some great companies, went back to school, got a master's of science in organization development, went back to work for some more incredible companies, but I kept being really intrigued by looking around at meetings and seeing someone with a hidden agenda and someone who was doing this and someone who was saying that versus doing this. And really noticing that we're we're just most days not as incredible as we can be at work for a lot of reasons that are very very human, but that we we really ignore. Um, and so I started on this journey in neurophysiology as my postgraduate work and beginning to understand more about how does the brain work at work. 
Not the dysfunctional psychological problems that we often have in society and with individuals, but really the just sort of normal, if you will, people that we work with day in and day out. Um, why and how do they think and behave the way they do at work? And how can we leverage some of the things we're incredible at instinctually and some of the things that just instinctually we are not good at? Um, and I'm talking about biases and assumptions and perceptions and, you know, all of the things that are required for us to function well as a human, but that don't really serve us well in a lot of different ways. So this is kind of an exploding field. There's been some amazing research and work done in this space in the last 10 years in particular, um, beginning to understand that illogical and irrational human. So I've kind of taken that side, the academic side, the research-oriented side, the, the hardcore neurosciences, if you will, and combined it with the experiences that I've had working with truly elite performers in numerous sectors, military, um, musician, Olympics, uh, FBI, you name it, people who are unquestionably the best at what they do, and how can we learn from that and apply it effectively in the more traditional workspace? Right, we're going to spend more time working than anything else we do our entire life. Most of us are not going to be U.S. Navy SEALs. How can I be as great at what I do? And that's where I play. That's my little sandbox. And it's what I'm really passionate about and absolutely love. Um, I always warn people that everything I tell them and everything we work on is subject to change tomorrow. We're truly in the infancy of understanding the brain. We, we probably have finally come to realize we know a lot less about it than we ever thought before. And we're constantly having to update and refresh. But, but that's the space. So you know, if someone is, uh, their, their money, their business rather is throwing off money that, you know, it's successful by all of the sort of traditional financial measures, but it's miserable. It's hard to work there. It's painful. It takes 10 times longer to get anything done than you think it should. Uh, turnover is high or people have retired in place. There are all sorts of indicators that we probably could be leveraging the human assets more effectively. And that's what we help do. I was thinking about, well, I was thinking several things as you're going, oh, yeah, that one. And so I, I think about, you know, the, the professional uh, law enforcement SEALs mm -hmm. and so on. And you think about the organizational training and the dedication to that, you know, and I'm sure they have highs and lows in, in their players and strengths sure. and weaknesses. How would you characterize the similarity when you go into a, a corporate arena versus perhaps the military arena on their strengths and weaknesses? Well, there's a technique that we use that kind of underlies every single thing we do that I think we really kind of took from not only the military, Olympic athletes, NFL players, uh, again, anyone who's truly elite. Um, and that's this notion of focus on a target. Crystal clear with specificity on what is the win. What is the win? And the fascinating thing at work is that I could, you know, let's pretend you've got 15 employees and I could ask that question of all 15 and probably get a different answer in most organizations. But I bet you if I asked the Denver Broncos player what it is, I'd get exactly the same answer from all of the players on the team. It's the Super Bowl. It's very, very clear. Same thing with the United States Navy SEALs. I know what that mission is. I am crystal clear on the objective. And, you know, it's a funny. Think about Beyonce. When she takes the stage, she is crystal clear on the experience she wants to create for her audience. So, again, we see this in so many places, and we don't often see it at work. Everybody's working very hard. 
People are committed. They're passionate oftentimes. They have good, good intentions. But oftentimes people at work are running a multitude of races. So kind of step back, and if you think about, you know, a marathon, the gun goes off at the beginning, and then everybody runs in completely different directions. Hmm. That's what work looks like to me most days. It doesn't matter that there are good intentions, but the clarity and the ongoing communication and the refresh and the design of that clarity, and as it bleeds through an entire system, it has to touch every process every day in every way for everyone that works there, as well as a lot of times outside the boundaries of the organization as well. I think about that particular task, you know, and, and it, what it I keep thinking herding cats. <laughs> it's worse than that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so you're a company owner and mm-hmm. you go, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done. You know, I've, I'm, I'm to the point where I can afford to bring Holly in and mm-hmm. help me out. Mm-hmm. And you walk through the door and you meet what process would a potential owner, CEO, president expect when you engage with them? That's a great question. So it depends is sort of the perfect consulting answer. Um, But let me give you a broad swipe at that. Um, We're going to come in and we're going to talk to you as the CEO, understand what are your dreams? What what is your win? What does it look like to you? I'm going to ask a lot of questions to tease it out of your brain because that is one of the great challenges is most owners, leaders, they know what excellence is, but the ability to articulate it is a challenge. And when I say articulate it, I don't just mean saying things like, oh, we operate with integrity, because um, that clearly didn't work at Wells Fargo or Enron. Uh, <laughs> but the ability to th- pull that into what will you see when people are doing that? What are the behavioral indicators? What are people actually doing, saying, so that that comes to life in very real ways versus the theory? You know, we put the nice poster up on the wall in the break room, check, we're done. Not so much. How do people know the best possible decisions to make every single day? Because right now, your employees are all making decisions, every single one of them. Whether they're talking to a customer, whether they're talking to an internal colleague, whether they're talking to a vendor or supplier, Every day, every one of them moment to moment is making decisions. What criteria are they using to make those decisions? How do they know moment to moment the best possible decisions to make? You see, if I haven't clarified the target, if I don't know what the win is, I make it up. We call it MSU. People just make stuff up because the brain won't live with a void of data. It fills in. And most of the time it fills in with a negative. So all of this work kind of comes together in really paying close attention and watching what we've known, by the way, since the 1950s about the adult human. What really drives us? And it's that specificity and the clarity in the brain. Our instinctual, the thing we're better at than anything else in the whole world is to prove ourselves right. So if I want you in my game, I got to make sure I have set those targets and I have pushed the prove yourself right button with you. I want you working every day to achieve. And this is not about motivating people with recognition, et cetera, although that's certainly all threaded through. This is about real specificity. What is our game? What is the target? Where are we according to that target? And how are we all going to get there effectively together? You know, I I think about, uh, I'm sort of a data guy, and I think about specificity Mm -hmm. and tracking. Mm -hmm. And you, you think about if you're a larger organization with turnover, 
mm-hmm. and in just the nature of, of the business you have, how do you take in and continually pass that through to the entire organization? So you've got the old hands that kind of have it, but maybe they like a plate on the end of the stick only need to be spun once every now and again. Mm-hmm. And you got the new employee where he has to be spun or she needs to mm-hmm. be spun very Every frequently. Day. <laughs> yeah. So so when you look at that mm-hmm. process and measurement wise, who does that in the organization other than the CEO? And what would you advise process wise for these folks to do? Well, you um so you start out defining the win, right? Then you pull your team in and you begin to clarify that further with that team. Then it has to cascade through the organization. Other elements that are a really important part of that puzzle are understanding, becoming self-aware, our own temperaments and types and preferences, recognizing those types in other people. For instance, if I'm going to give you feedback, I really want to help you feel recognized. I need to do it in the way you need it versus the way I want to give it. Um, So, you know, this starts at the level of define the win, and then everything builds towards achieving that. So that's self-awareness and then awareness of others, the ability to give feedback, um, the ability to track progress. All of the ways of working have to collude to get you to the target. You know, folks are going like, I have a problem. I need to talk to Holly. Mm-hmm. How do they find you? Oh, goodness. I'm out there. Certainly, you can find me on LinkedIn, Holly G. Green. You can visit our website, thehumanfactor.biz. Um, you can find me on our YouTube channel, Holly G. Green, or More Than a Minute. Um, you can certainly find our books on Amazon. Oh, goodness. On Twitter, I'm Holly G. Green. Facebook. So uh, we're out and about uh, talking to a lot of people. And I'm always happy to connect with folks and and talk about their challenges and and provide whatever help we can. You know, you asked me earlier, um, kind of first steps in the process. We're, we try to be very, very realistic. I work with everyone from Google to pest control and everything you can possibly imagine in between companies that are billions and billions in revenue, companies that are small. Um, we've got sort of products and services that fit most of those budgetary constraints and are pretty realistic. Um, for instance, you know, my pest control company of 150 people certainly doesn't get charged the same prices and we don't do the same process I might with a Google, right? So we, we have a lot of very scalable, a lot of free tools on our website, in our store. I encourage people to go out, take advantage of those. Most of us have more resources than we realize available at our fingertips today. It's really taken the time to take advantage, and I'm happy to share a tool, a process with anyone uh, who feels like they could benefit from that. In reading your book, there was a part in there where you were talking about you need to slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, yeah, I need to slow down sometimes. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Let, let's dig into slow down a little bit mm-hmm. and, and what the genesis of that was and what that means to you. Well, it kind of the mantra that we use is pause, think, focus. Um, because I say today, you know, we have this busyness notion. We have to show that we're busy. It, it's a funny thing. Again, as a behavioral scientist, I'm on a lot of airplanes, so I watch a lot. Um, you know, when people will turn on and check their Facebook the second they land. You know, and everybody's got to be engaged with their devices uh, versus talking to someone or appreciating something around them. But we feel this great pressure to, of busyness today. And that, and I'm not really important, um, certainly not as important to you if I'm not exhibiting those busyness traits. That's a self-imposed mental model. That's not real. 
Okay, so not that we don't have a lot more pressures today, a lot more clutter and distraction. We certainly do, but we have a choice. We have a choice on how we manage that and how we deal with it. So the slowing down is slow down and get it right instead of do it wrong and do it over. The slow down is to really pause, and we teach techniques that take a whole whopping 30 seconds just to visit your brain, which, by the way, loves when you visit. Okay, so we are using our brain less and less and traveling more and more what we call the well-worn neural pathways. Just to kind of simplify, our tendency is we like what we already know. Our brain digs what it's familiar with. It tends to go to that. It served us very well as a survival technique. Um, And in slower times, that was fine. Unfortunately, the world is changing at such a fast pace today that just because it worked five years ago does not mean it will work today. Just because it worked a year ago does not mean it's the case today but we forget to refresh and update our brains. So the pausing is really to force you to go to that brain and just ponder what if, could we, should we, change perspective, challenge assumptions. We have a whole set of 99 different tools or techniques, what we call neuro prompts, ways to prompt or poke your brain very quickly to just slow it down just enough, just enough to be able to truly think and focus on the right thing. Because most of the time we're reacting into doing, we're not thunking. <laughs> we're, on, we're in the business, not on the business. Well, both. Even when, we're, even when we're on it, we're still not really thinking as well as we could. In reading another part about challenge, you know, like plan B, reverse planning sequences, mm-hmm. what we used to know out of the military. Yes. You know, start with the, you know, the end point in mind and work backwards. Mm-hmm. And then what happens if... Yes. You know, and, and I think for a lot of businesses, you're constrained by the your bandwidth of what you understand. Yes. You say, you know, yes, I can understand, but I never thought I would see Uber. I never thought I would see <laughs> Airbnb, Airbnb. Yeah, or you Kodak know, Fall or, you know, the, the magnitude of all of this is significant. You know, and, and so you have the CEO business owner that says, I, I, I agree, right? I want to take and get structured on my ability to challenge my thought process. Mm-hmm you know, join an organization outside of Mm -hmm. mine. If if you were offering advice to that person on how do you get somewhat structured to challenge your belief, what would you do? Let's say it's in the consulting leadership business that you do Mm -hmm. and you wanted to challenge yourself. You go, what would I look at different than what I'm doing to see if there was change coming to my industry? Well, one of the first techniques we often teach is called look up and look around. Um, And so there's some really interesting work that's been done on this, and it's called sensory adaptation in in general, um, kind of as the space. And some of the listeners may have heard of this or even seen the video where there's students passing a ball and a gorilla walks through, but nobody sees the gorilla. We can miss really, really big things when we're overly focused on to-doing or task level. And so we teach you got to step back every now and then, and I mean maybe 15 minutes a week, not staring at your navel for hours and hours, 15 minutes a week to look up and look around. And so we have a whole list of prompts and things that cost no money. Your time is the only price, and that's a heavy price, but 15 minutes a week to fill your brain with diverse data because your brain cannot connect dots if it hasn't gathered any first. And in the speed that we operate, we have more information available with less effort than ever before, and we use less than we ever have. 
right? We're soundbite people. We look at a headline. We don't read the data. We don't go back and try and uncover, is there something else here? Oh, could I learn from a different industry? I'm probably not the first person to ever go through this in the history of mankind. Where else can I look? What can I do? We don't tend to take advantage of most of that, but that's because of speed. Speed has trumped the slowing down thinking piece. So you got to build it back in and you have to do two things to build it back in. You have to have a mental model that is valuable, okay? Because it has to be worthy of your time that's stretched too thin. And then you have to have a habit of doing it. It's funny. It's so logical. But we're, remember, we're not logical animals, okay? <laughs> so, right? Our feet smell, you know, our nose runs, yeah, right? Yeah. We park on driveways, drive on parkways. You know, we could go through a very, very long mm-hmm. list. Um, that we're just, we're not logical creatures. And so I want to take advantage of how we do and then turn that into how we can be even better doing. You know, I, I think about... Um, the company owner, he's listening and he's going, you know, that's me. Mm-hmm. By golly, I need to do this. And, mm-hmm. then, you know, and obviously he can get the book. You know, he can sure. reach out to you. And then you go back to your organization and you go, get everybody together. What are the typical reactions? You know, the population base is either uh, the great baby boomers or the Gen X or the millennials. Mm-hmm. What's the typical pushback and impediment to implementation? Well, you can't just go back and, you know, hold a meeting and say, gosh, I read this on the bus, right? Um, because then everyone laughs and go, okay, here we go, the next program of the month or program of the day or whatever it is. Um, and that's where our work really, I think, uh, differentiates from a lot of other work of consultants. We don't show up one time and, you know, in an hour teach you magic wand kind of stuff. This is really about creating new habits, new synapses, new neural pathways in the brain. Quite frankly, it takes time. Um, And you've got to go back and you have to weave in these things to what I call the employee life cycle. Every single thing that happens in the organization, whatever it is you want, the target setting, the challenging assumptions, the changing perspectives, those have to be woven in to the day-to-day experiences. They can't be some one-off, oh, for God's sake, you know, so-and-so's making us go sit through this or do that. It's truly got to be a part of who you are and how you operate every single day. As the owner, you're starting to see progress. You're starting to weave this into the fabric. Mm -hmm. Um, What level of that is communicated then to the client of that company. What do you tell them? Or do you even share it with your clients that you've embarked on this path? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Very straightforward. You want to set expectations like you would with anything. Um, I always tell people one of the techniques we use is called destination modeling. That's kind of the umbrella for the clarity on winning and the driving it to execution with everyone every day. Um, I always tell people it's going to take you about two years to get great at this. Never seen it happen in any less time than that. Two years. Now, that doesn't mean I'm there all the time for two years, right? We do a lot of tools over email and phone conference and all that kind of thing. Um, And I always tell people, my job, once we get you going, is to be a professional nag, to make sure that you're sticking to it, you're doing it, we're seeing results, or we are just, et cetera. But it takes about two years. These neural pathways are there in your brain for a reason. Um, And you're already successful, Right. So I'm working with people who have already had some success, certainly. I'm right. Uh, Yeah, of course. And so the changing of that is very challenging for the adult human. We like what we already know. Even when we know logically the world has changed dramatically, our customers have changed, our employee base has changed, our product set has changed, 
even though we know that logically, it doesn't stop us from wanting to do the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And so it takes a while to form new neural pathways, right? That It's all about how those pathways are formed in your brain and the thickness, if you will, of that pathway. Um, it doesn't happen by one experience. So, so kind of step back and think about um, a football player, for instance. Peyton Manning didn't learn to throw the ball really well by throwing it one or two times, right? It's hours and hours of practice and thinking about it and trying different techniques, et cetera, so that the pathway is insanely thick in his brain and in muscle memory, so it moves into physical attributes as well. Well, we have to kind of do the same things at work, okay? We have to practice, and we have to practice getting it right. You see, one of the big distinguishers, and I believe probably one of the primary reasons this is harder at work than in other spaces, is because every day at work we're on the field, if you will. We're on stage. There is no time to practice. We're working. So it's not like we get to practice five days and play on Sunday, we are on stage working, and everything we do, therefore, to our brain is practicing. Every time we come into a meeting late, every time we don't make the best decision, every time we run too fast, that's all practice to your brain. And it doesn't discern that, oh gosh, it should have been done a different way. So we form deep neural pathways, making the same mistakes over and over. So it's a pattern interrupt at some point. There has to be. There has to be not only pattern interrupt, but new patterns created. The really cool thing that we've uncovered about the human brain really in very recent past is that as adult humans, we have enormous neuroplasticity in our brain. In other words, unless we're dead or our brain is diseased, we can create new pathways until we die. Now that truly is, was a breakthrough in understanding. So that old dog can't learn new tricks. We don't know about dogs, but we do know, we're fairly certain that the human can. You know, I, I think about the whole concept of retire at a certain age, mm -hmm. you know, and at some certain age you must retire because, yeah. and, I, and I think about that myth, for lack of a better term. Sure. And I, and I think about, you know, as we transition from baby boomer generation, mm -hmm. then the mm -hmm. Gen X a traditionalist and the, and the yeah. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you finding that between the generations there's a greater acceptance to what you're talking about from one generation to another? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure I've ever thought about it uh, from that perspective. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure there's any evidence to suggest that that would be the case, but it would be fascinating to look at and, and certainly ponder. Yeah, you know, because I, I think of you know, my experience. I'm a baby boomer, mm -hmm. and I grew up post-Vietnam and nuclear threat and so on. Mm -hmm. And then we had the kids that, you know, were for, you know, younger, I don't know whether in their 40s now. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the the later generation, which is in their 20s and 30s. And, and then about, you've got Gen Z now, the 20s. So you've got yeah. that whole new one layered on. Yeah, I, I missed that one. <laughs> Strap altogether. in for that one. That's a whole new one. <laughs> you, know, in, in, you know, in an organization, I think about the willingness by many to accept the possibility that what you say is useful. Mm -hmm. you, you know, there's a certain level of, there's always the skeptic. Sure. Always. There's always the office ninja. Yeah. Always. <laughs> you, know, you know, and as you go into that, do you find that those folks start to come on board? Um, this is just anecdotally. I don't know that I've seen a difference across generations as so much a difference across people. Mm -hmm. uh, and where we're at in our life and, and, and whether we have the curiosity 
and what I call a learning stance and the desire to continue to be more incredible versus if I'm locked in and I'm set. You know, it, it, it brings up something interesting. You know, you think about the, the worker says, my, I lost my job. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, I lost it to technology or robotics. And mm-hmm. you go, well, did you see it coming? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a repetitive task, there's a robot that's going <laughs> to yeah. do it for yeah. you. And, you know, I, I wonder, as you think about that and in, in, in working in your space, how can that person, that, how can they look at their job and go, am I at risk? And then if I'm at risk, what kind of things can I bring into my thought process to be aware and make a change before I'm roadkill? Yeah, and the hard part is that's a counter-instinctual way to think, right? We always think it won't happen to us. So that's number one, and that's just a deep core, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I mean, if you see something tragic happening in the news, and it's, oh, well, that wouldn't happen to me because mm-hmm. our brain, you know, that's part of that survival, which is not our deepest instinct, by the way, but one of the deeper ones. So it's counter-instinctual to be thinking like that. Uh, so that's number one. So you have to teach yourself to do it. You have to be intentional and force it a little bit to create some of those new pathways and that kind of thinking. Um, You know, I work with a lot of manufacturers and people that are in exactly these kinds of circumstances. You know, we only know what we know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way that we expand our brain is new experiences, exposure to different ways of thinking and different things. And so you really got to force yourself to do that. That's uncomfortable. We like what we know. We're, our brain likes what we're familiar with. And so, you know, socioeconomic status plays into that on what are the possibilities we have. Um, geography plays into it, what's available in my area. You know, it, we're very much a product of who we hang out with, uh, who we're around day in and day out. So there are literally hundreds of forces at play there. Um, we like trying to boil things down to be simplistic for the human, but they're just simply not. We are insanely complex animals. And so you have to start kind of teasing something like that apart and thinking about, okay, of the hundred things that we could do to help someone in a scenario like that, let's, what are the top 10 maybe? But it's not going to be one. You know, I, I think so much of, of that is choice. Did it you, is, but I may not even know. Mm-hmm. I may not even know I have a choice. I'm not. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not. I I, I have a real intolerance for victim mentality mm-hmm. or martyrs or you know all of those other kinds of things. That's why I chose to play in the functional, mostly functional space at mm-hmm. work. Um, and so certainly that comes into play as well. Uh, you know some of those predispositions, if you will, to woe is me, etc. But even those that have a desire, you know, there are other factors and forces involved too. You know, shifting gears a little bit, we talked before the show and said I was in the corporate arena Mm -hmm. for many years. And then there was this tipping point, for lack of a better term, (laughs) where you decided that you weren't going to be in the corporate arena. Mm -hmm. You were going to take and go and and do this on your own. Mm -hmm. For the folks that may be out there going like, I've considered that, what were the things that were the contributing factors for you to make the decision to leave, quote, security, mm-hmm. to go out and do this on your own? Well, I think I realized, number one, there was no security in Fortune 500, and I'd worked for quite a few. You know, and there was always change and layoffs and different leaders and that kind of thing. So I'd certainly been through ups and downs in that arena or world. 
Um, so I didn't necessarily have that hard and fast notion that that was secure. Um, but I will tell you, I was a pretty reluctant consultant. I'd worked for incredible companies, uh, a lot of luxuries in working for large organizations that sometimes we don't get in smaller ones, but I'd also done some startups. I was very lucky that throughout my career, I have formed very close relationships with the people that worked for me, with me, or that I worked for, and I'd maintained those relationships. And so, you know, I was working at a Fortune 500. I was in a a director level role. um, And I got a call from someone I had worked with a long time ago who said, is there any way you can take vacation and come up and facilitate our strategic planning? And I went home and I thought, you know what? I've literally been taking a nap at my desk every day at three o'clock. I think I probably need to do this. And so I had the luxury of having a network that I had built over years and years and being able to tap into that and pull it together to become a consultant. I'm a terrible employee, absolutely horrendous, horrific employee. I get bored very easily. I like high energy. I'm a change agent unquestionably, and I'm going to help you by being very provocative. Um, That doesn't work when you're internal. And so, you know, it took me a while to really understand that about my own style, my own desire. Um, But once I did... You know, it's been 15 years of um, incredible experiences around the globe, great organizations, amazing people, uh, making a real difference not only in profitability and productivity at companies, but just in people enjoying themselves more at work. You know, I I think about the decision, you know, and you come home and talk to your husband (laughs) and you go, okay, you know, this is the direction. And then there's day one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you're going, ah. you know, uh, well, I don't have to go to work today. What yeah. was the first month or so of that like? Pretty nerve-wracking just from a financial security perspective. I'm the breadwinner of, you know, a family um, and have been. So, you know, certainly there were those elements to think about. Again, luckily we, uh, you know, had saved and and put aside and, and done a good job with our financials up to that point. Uh, but also really for me, it was just excitement. You know, who do I work with? What do I do? How do I reach out to people? Uh, and what I found was I was very, very lucky that people reached out to me. So once I kind of let my network know, here's what I was doing, et cetera. Um, honestly, I'm not sure there's been a time when I haven't been busy in the last 15 years. And right now we're, you know, we book months and months and months out oftentimes, uh, because my schedule is full. You know, I, I think about, the comment that you stayed in close contact mm-hmm. with your friends and peers mm-hmm. and, and so on. And I think that's a real skill set. I think it's something that for whatever reasons came to me, uh, maybe instinctually, but I did work hard at it. And this was before you had LinkedIn. And, you know, I was like one of the first 100 people on LinkedIn. So <laughs> so I value those kinds of tools unquestionably. And this was long before that. But I was always looking for, here's an article I came across I thought you might like. And, you know, physically mailing that to people mm-hmm. in sort of the old days, <laughs> if you will. Um, and I try to continue doing that because I, I think that's important. Um, why would I expect you to be thinking of me when you have a need if I'm not thinking of you? So there is that sort of, you know, reciprocity uh, notion, I think, that's valuable in the world. Um, You know, we do a lot of other things today as well with newsletters and other kinds of outreach that are a little more technology-oriented. But I'm always looking for and kind of thinking about people and what might be helpful. What drives me to do what I do um, is I love helping people be more successful. 
that's what drives me day in and day out. I love helping people be more successful. Um, and so I get great joy from that. It's funny. We were talking a little bit before about Mr. Cynic, mm-hmm. the why. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you think about it, I really like helping people be more successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that came from or how did that get seated in you? Oh, I wish I knew. Uh- <laughs> probably write a book about that and make a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, I grew up with great parents who always pushed us. You can be anything you want to be. I I grew up, uh, I think, in a fairly kind of normal middle class uh, family, but we certainly uh, were were encouraged. Um, So, you know, other than that, I just, uh, you know, I've asked, I've been asked that a lot and we've tried to engender that in our own children. Um, some of it was chance and circumstance and, you know, things beyond anyone's control. And a lot of it was just, you know, growing up with people who believe you can do what you want to do. Just put your mind to it and work hard. Mm -hmm. You you know, shifting gears again a bit, you're published, Mm -hmm. widely read. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first book, Mm -hmm. what was the impetus and the whole idea behind your book? Well, the first one was more than a minute. I ran the Ken Blanchard companies for a number of years, and um, Kim was, of course, the co-author of the One Minute Manager. And uh, I realized, you know, gosh, that book was more than 25 years old. And here we were uh, still using it. And it was an absolutely seminal management reference book at the time. But the three secrets in that book were one-minute goal-setting, one-minute reprimand, and one-minute praising. <laughs> they were a bit outdated. <laughs> and, and you know, all the people in the book were males, and, you know, it was kind <laughs> of an interesting thing. So when you step back and you kind of look at that, uh, I thought, gosh, this is due for a refresh. You know, this is something that uh, we could probably take a look at, insanely valuable in its time, but it's probably good to, to step back and say now where we're at. You know, in 2008, I guess, was when that one was first published. Um what does it look like in today's world? And that's what really prompted me to write the first book. That and honestly, I never set out to be an author. It was never anything on my list. Uh, my clients really pushed me to do it. Get this stuff in writing, Holly. You've got to be able to get this in writing. You share with more people that way. Um, we'd really love to be able to refer back to the processes, the steps. So I tend to write things um, that are very kind of reference book oriented, action oriented, you know, kind of in a nutshell, how I would describe myself as as well. Very results-driven. So that book came out. Mm-hmm. How did your life change after that book came out or did it? Um, I don't know that it did. I mean, certainly it's been sold around the globe, translated into eight languages. I started doing probably more keynote speeches at that point. So that, that maybe changed a little bit. But I've always been on the stage and uh, that's not something I was uh, fearful or uh, didn't want to do. Um so I, I think it, it helped me be more concise in the consulting work. I think it helped me be maybe more consistent sometimes, um, helped me be more helpful to clients by being able to have something that I could refer people to, et cetera. Uh, the second book really was a result of, again, pressure from clients to, to you know, okay, you do a lot of work in innovation. You do a lot of work on using your brain. You, we kind of took the notions from the first book and then dove deeper on the get clear on the target and bring it to life aspects of things. I've just had two major publishers contact me to write the next one. And honestly, I'm not, I don't know that I will. Uh, 
it's certainly time-consuming to write a book. Uh, it's also fun. We'll see. I, I love working with people hands-on and getting in, getting dirty, getting things done, and seeing the results of that. You know, you, you were mentioning innovation, and Apple just had its big in the donut reveal mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the new phone, and there was a discussion about they really need to come up with the next new mm. iPod, fill in the blank. <clears throat> and when you're working with an organization and they say, we have a problem innovating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what types of discussions do you have with them in regard to that? Well, we've got a tool set. Um, there are, you know, what I find fascinating is people presume if we say that innovation is one of our values that magically everyone can do it. Innovation is counter-instinctual for the adult human. Uh, remember, we like what we already know. Our brain digs what it's familiar with. So we have to learn the skills of being innovative. And we do believe, I believe, there is an underlying skill set that allows us to be innovative. And it is a series of prompts um, and tools that we can rely on and push ourselves to, to do that well. Uh, it's the putting together of pieces and parts in whole new ways for value creation. That's really all that innovation is. Again, our brain likes what it already knows, so it doesn't do it instinctually. So just have to teach people how to do it. And if it truly is important, we have to carve out the time to teach people how to do it and make it part of how we hold them accountable and give them the tools and the support necessary to do it well. You know, as, as we're talking about innovation and there's the, the big move, supposedly, big data. Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. I think I saw mm-hmm. a lot of artificial intelligence in DC, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different kind. <laughs> a different kind of artificial <laughs> intelligence. But but you know, you, you think about uh, the big data mm-hmm. effect on companies and things that maybe you didn't see. Mm-hmm. How are you seeing that affecting in your perspective? Well, as a behavioral scientist, we like to to believe that we're very data-based in our consulting approach. Of course, we've got all the, you know, thousands of biases and assumptions and, you know, uh, mental models that everyone else does. But we like to try to be data-based. It is fascinating now with big data how we can gather information, but we're still ignoring it just as often as we're paying attention to it um, because we have anecdotal right? Mm-hmm. And that in our brain weighs heavier. Well, no, but I know a lady down the street who blah, 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 blah. It's fascinating the weight that that will carry versus, you know, a thousand points of information that are from an unknown source. That's where that illogical creature stuff comes in and how we weight things dramatically different in our head. You know, we have an immediacy bias. Uh, we have a fear bias. We yeah, a fear of failure bias. You know, there's, there's just hundreds and hundreds of them. And so I have not seen to date uh, the impact of the ability to have big data and make database decisions as prominently as I would have expected five years ago. Still, still the, the human's still getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that's who run things. You know, Watson, IBM's Watson does not run things. Um, it's still the adult human. We still see a lot of illogical decisions and behaviors. Um, and, that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean those are wrong, by the way. Because there's something in there that leads us to logical decisions. Sometimes they're wrong, but sometimes they're not. And that's okay, too. You know, you've been extremely generous with your time. (laughs) You know, and as as we come to a close, what do you think are are some of the biggest misconceptions folks might have about Mm -hmm. what you bring to the table when you show up at their doorstep? Well, it's not a magic wand. I have one, but it doesn't work. So uh, (laughs) it will be hard. Being incredible is not easy. 
Uh, there was no one that is elite that doesn't work very hard constantly on being incredible. Um, and so that's sort of one of our first disclaimers is you got to be ready to work hard. Um, you've got to be ready to be provoked and prompted to push yourself. Um, and that's not only the CEO, that's each and every person that's going to be engaged. And that needs to be your whole organization. So you have to be willing to do that. Um, you have to come at things from a learning stance versus a defensive stance and open your mind just a little bit. Um, that's really important because if you already know, then you don't need us, right? You don't need anyone. You should just keep doing what you're doing and that'll be great. So you have to want to win. I'll give you an example. Our, our brain likes guide rails. So those are kind of the what's in. The what's out is if you want to run a lifestyle company, then that's fantastic and you should do that. But I'm probably not your gal. Um, because it's probably already producing what you want to get out of it, and that's fantastic, and there's no reason you're going to want to push yourself or work as hard as I'm going to want you to work, right? So that's sort of the, the I would say, more the out-of-bounds. Um, the industry doesn't matter as long as you have adult humans. And by the way, I work with potato farmers and dairy farms who have, you know, potatoes and cows, and <laughs> so, but they also have humans. It doesn't matter the industry or the sector. It doesn't matter if you think, oh, well, we've got all these skeptical engineers or these scientists. doesn't matter. I work with all types um, because the brain is the brain. And if we can get in there and help you work with yours even more effectively, you're going to be more successful. But you got to be willing to do it. Starts with, yes, I, I agree. And, and I, I think sometimes folks will go, well, the information is free. And folks mm -hmm. have a tendency to discount that which is free. They think it has mm -hmm. more value. Which is a funny bubble. Yeah, and so you've charged <laughs> a lot. Oh, it must therefore be more valuable mm -hmm. in the approach. Mm -hmm. Well, to, to to close here, if you parting advice pretty much on anywhere across the gamut that might be useful for the listeners. I'd say there's two things. Start practicing pausing and visiting your brain to think and focus. Get crystal clear on winning for every day. What are the things you need to do to win that day for your company as a whole, for your team, for your role or position, wherever you're at in your life, get crystal clear on winning. Your brain has the amazing ability to prove itself right and to look for the things that will help you achieve once you're clear. But you've got to be clear with specificity first. I sure appreciate you taking the time <laughs> uh, and welcoming me into your home. Thank you. Thanks, Holly.